Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. This morning I'm here just to fill the pulpit and try to encourage you folks from the Word of God. So let's take our copy of God's Word. Would you join me, if you would, in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, and this morning, and we'll begin reading in just a moment in verse number 20, and we'll read down to verse number 34. When we're done reading, we'll pray, and then once we're done reading, I don't want you to put your Bible away because we'll be looking at verses in this chapter as we walk our way through it this morning. Very familiar portion of Scripture. Most of us would be familiar with this story that's contained here in the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. And I'll begin reading here in verse number 20. And I'm going to encourage you, if you're able to stand, if you could stand for a moment to read the Bible, and then uh, just remain standing, we'll pray, and then you may be seated. If you can't stand, I understand that. But again, we give reverence to the Word of God this morning. The Bible says in verse number 20, And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, of, uh, champion the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistine, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. The men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killed the Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake and the men of, unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride, the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down, that thou mayest see the battle. David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him and toward another, and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner, and when, the words, uh, and when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fear, fail him before him, for thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept thy father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took, the, took uh, the lamb out of the flock. And I went after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, and smote him, and slew him. 
the servant, thy servant uh, slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here in, in, uh, at the Bailey Road Baptist Church this morning. And we do pray for the pastor and his family. Lord, is there a way that you would encourage Brother Smith and, and his family? Encourage them, Lord, help them get some rest. And Lord, help them have some good family time. And then, Lord, I pray for the service this morning. Not only here in this auditorium, but the children as they're in a children's service. Lord, would you speak in and to our hearts through this passage of Scripture today. Though it's familiar, Lord, may you use it, Lord, to encourage us and strengthen us and stir us, we pray. We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I don't know that we often think of it, but many times most of life's uh, challenging and changing moments. In other words, the things that life pivots on many times has happened because somebody believed in something. Someone saw a cause and stepped forward to do something about it. Let me give you a few illustrations of what I'm talking about. We think of the founding of our country. We think of some people called the Pilgrims who left England. They traveled across the water to a new world. Of course, many of them un really not knowing what they would, would find when they came here. But they did it because they had a cause. They believed in religious freedom. They, they made a decision because of a cause. We think about our nation as it broke away from England and it declared its independence because our founding fathers and, and the residents of this new world believed in a cause called liberty. So, in other words, there was a purpose or reason that they did what they did. Just, uh, just recently, I've been, yeah, I guess, a little bit paying attention to what's happening to our neighbor to the north in Canada. I don't know if you've paid a lot of attention about that, but there's some things happening in Canada. And a couple of pastors in Canada have been arrested recently. And the question is, why? Why have they been arrested? Well, it's because they believe that the Word of God has more authority than the government of Canada. And they're willing to put their own freedom, uh, obviously, in, uh, on the line because they believe in the meeting of the church. Because Canada has told them they're not allowed to meet. And as a result, they said, no, we're going to meet because God has commanded us to do that. Another news story recently that has captured my attention, and, and it's been on my radar screen, it deals with a man by the name of Tanner Cross. And uh, you may be familiar with that name, you may not be, but he was an elementary physical education teacher in, from Loudoun County, uh, Loudoun County School District in Loudoun County, Virginia. And uh, recently he stood up to the school board there to state his opposition to the board's new policy on what they call equity and inclusion. And this policy basically forced the staff to recognize the students by their chosen gender rather than their biological gender. And Mr. Cross said, I can't do that. He said, I can't lie to the students. And so Mr. Cross was subsequently suspended. But his stand, in turn, set off, if you would, the fireworks in the community among the parents in the district. And the parents finally are starting to say to the school board, look, we don't want our children indoctrinated. We want them educated. So again, there's a, a cause, a, a reason. So in the Bible, we find the same thing. When God has a purpose or God stirs in people to give them a purpose to pursue or a cause to which to stand. Let me give you a few illustrations. These are familiar to you, I'm sure, but in Genesis chapter 6, what do we find? We find that God speaks to a man by the name of Noah and says, Noah, I want you to build a boat. Now, I don't know if you have thought about how unusual that would have been in Noah's day because 
Honestly, we see boats all around us in our society. You can go to the lake, you can go to, you, you, can, uh, you see large boats, you see small pleasure crafts, you see kayaks, you see canoes. Th those are things that are very familiar to us. But I have to tell you, in Noah's day, that probably wasn't familiar at all. And, and when God said, no, I want you to build a boat, he didn't tell him to build a boat by the water. He said, I want you to build it in the desert. And he begins to go to work to build this monstrosity, this huge thing called an ark. And Perhaps some of you have been down in northern Kentucky and seen the replica that has been constructed there, what that ark looked like and how mammoth it was and how, how many animals it could contain. And, and so God said to him, Noah, I want you to do this. Well, why did God say that? Well, because God said, I'm going to destroy the earth by a flood. And if you're going to be saved, you have to be saved because you follow my instruction. So Noah believed in the cause. And though it wasn't popular, though it wasn't something that anyone else would agree with, and very few folks would agree with it. Uh, it was the only way of salvation. So he responded to God. In Genesis chapter 12, we find another illustration. God shows up in Abraham's life one day. The, the indication is from Acts chapter 7, God physically took on a manifestation. We call those theophanies in the Old Testament, when God takes upon flesh. And according to Acts chapter 7, uh, God showed up evidently and, and spoke to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and your kindred behind, and I want you to pack up your wife and, and your household, and I want you to go to a country. Well, can you imagine Abraham coming home and saying to his wife, Honey, we're moving. And she says, Well, where are we going? I don't really know. But God said we're to follow him, and when we get there, we'll know where we're supposed to be. And, and so we, we think about causes, we think about purposes, and what happens. In Exodus chapter 3, uh, Moses is heading back to Egypt. After 40 years of, of being in the wilderness, he's going back to face some people that have threatened his life. Why is he going back? Because God has spoken to him that he's going to be the catalyst that will set the nation of Israel free. The Bible clearly states that Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven to come to earth for a cause. God didn't just leave heaven to show up down here to show us a better way. Now, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law, that they may receive the adoption of sons. He, the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I don't know if there's anyone here today that doesn't have a relationship with God to the person of his son, Jesus Christ. But I'm just going to go on record to tell you today that there's only one way of salvation. You don't get to heaven because you're a member of the Bailey Road Baptist Church. You don't get to heaven because you've been baptized. You don't get to heaven because you're good or moral, because you try to do the best you can. The only way that you and I can be redeemed is because we have put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the one who left heaven and came to this earth living a sinless life so that he could die what is called a vicarious or substitutionary death. And on the cross of Calvary, God took your sins and my sins and placed it upon his son, Jesus, so that you and I could be redeemed. And the only way of salvation is not church membership, not being a, having a good life or being a moral person, but repenting of your sin and putting your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So let's look at our text this morning. I want you to notice, please, that uh, the Bible is clear that Israel is at war with the Philistines. That's a pretty clear indication as we read the text. And David has been sent by his father. So I want you to think David's a young man, probably at this point, maybe 15, maybe 16 years of age, maybe a little bit older, maybe 17. 
but he's not old enough at this point to be in the army. So in other words, he's not, uh, he's not of age that they would conscript him into the military service for his nation, at least at this point. So his father sent him to see how things were going for his brothers, who, older brothers who were serving the army, and also to bring them some food supplies for them and the captain that oversaw them. Coming into the camp of Israel, things, uh, something happens that, if you would, arrests David's attention. I want you to think about that. In other words, uh, something happens in the life of David as he comes into the camp that literally changes his life. Uh, in other words, this was not something that was pre-planned or premeditated. It wasn't something David anticipated. It wasn't something that happened when David got up in the morning and said, you know, hey, today I'm going to go face a giant. No, no, none of that happened in David's life. It wasn't until he shows up here at this point that he's arrested by a cause that will change his life. And so as we think about that this morning, this is something that's so big that David's life will forever be impacted. I want you to notice some things about this cause of what happens in David's life. Would you notice, first of all, that David is awakened by a cause? He's awakened by a cause. In verses 23 to 27, let's look at them again. The Bible says, As he talked with them, behold, there came up a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and he spake according to the same words, and David heard them. The first thing that awakens David to this cause, which you notice is an adversary that's challenging the people of God. So in other words, David is awakened to a cause because somebody has offered a challenge and says, hey, you're not going to do certain things. So David walks in the camp. He isn't there a few minutes, and he hears this voice booming. Now, again, I don't know how, how loud the, the voice of, of Goliath was, but I'll guarantee you that everybody in the camp of, of Israel could hear, hear him when he's standing there in that valley, and he's shouting up on top of the hill and saying, Hey, give me a man. Send somebody out here that I want to fight against him and challenging these people. So as, he, as David hears this voice, and he's, all of a sudden he's looking around, and all of a sudden all these warriors, all these soldiers from Israel, they're not standing, they're running away, they're cowering, they're, they're retreating in fear. He moves, as he moves forward, that booming voice in the valley, he's halfway between Israel and the Philistines, he sees this giant by the name of Goliath, and there's something about this guy that sets David on edge. Now understand, he's just a teenager. He's not a warrior, but there's something that's happening on the inside of him that's awakening inside of him, and, and David is, again, going to be changed by this. It would seem that whenever someone wants to do something for God, there almost will inevitably be, they'll face some adversaries. I'm here to tell you that if you, as a Christian, decide that you want to live the Christian life in this world, you're going to face some adversaries. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 7, be sober, that means be alert, be awake, be vigilant, be on the watch. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, I don't know uh, if there's a zoo over in Youngstown, but there's certainly one in Cleveland. And uh, I've been to that zoo on a number of occasions. It's been a while since I've been there, but they do have a, a big uh, exhibit of, of lions. Now, I've got to tell you that I'm not going to be one who's going to jump over the fence and say, Come here, kitty, kitty, kitty. I'm not going to mess with that cat. I'm going to stay away from him because why? That I realize the power that's in that animal. And God says to us as Christians, hey, as, as you're walking through this world, as you're living your life for Christ, just mark it down. You've got an adversary who wants to destroy you like a mighty lion. 
So we must remember the devil is real and he opposes everything that God promotes. So what, what the devil wants to use to destroy you, God will oftentimes use to build you. I, I think to myself, Joseph faced a lot of adversaries. When I look at the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, here's Joseph, the favorite son of his father. And uh, he's that son, the son who has wisdom beyond his years, and his older brothers are a little bit corrupt. And David, Joseph is going to find himself in Egypt, but on his way to Egypt and on his way to setting in the, in the palace of Egypt, he's going to face some adversaries and his brothers and, and, and in Potiphar's house, and, and he's going to face some adversaries or perhaps even some self-doubt. I'm just simply saying he faced some adversaries. Daniel found that the land uh, that the land and living in Babylon wasn't excited about him living for his God and having some convictions. Paul states in his work as a New Testament church planting missionary that he fight, faced many adversaries. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 16. For great doors of, and effectual is opened unto me, listen, and there are many adversaries. So here's what we got to understand this morning is that Hey, we can get awakened to the cause, but we have to understand that as we are awakened to the cause, it's going to be because we're facing some adversaries. I'm thinking about what's happening in our culture. I'm thinking about what's happening in our world, facing, thinking about what's happening in government. Really, you know, there was a time when biblical Christianity was admired, was something that most people in our culture would say, hey, this is something that's good. But we're living in a day and age today that you can call yourself a Christian, but you, if you start to live like a Christian, you start to have Christian values, you're going to be spoken about, about disparagingly. You're not going to be welcomed. They're not going to applaud it. In fact, most cities today are looking upon churches as a drain to their society rather than a help to their society. Why is that? Well, because of the culture and it's changing. And so it's an adversary. So he's awakened by an adversary. He's also awakened, if you would, as he looks at the, at the fear and the apathy that's found in God's army. So he's, a, he's awakened by an adversary. He's awakened by apathy. So as we look at this, David, as David looks at what's happening in the, the nation of Israel, he sees this ap apathetic attitude. In other words, a, a, a fear, so to speak, that they're not willing to stand up to the enemy. Think about this. The army of Israel is ineffective. What, what are armies supposed to do? They're supposed to protect. They're supposed to defend. They're supposed to defeat the enemy. This army is ineffective. They're frozen by fear. Even Saul, their king, is in a quandary about what to do. He, too, is afraid. And the army has been stymied and stopped cold. And the giant Goliath has caused quite a stir. So as we think about that, we think about, again, those that would threaten threaten our freedom, they've got to be stood up to. So we look at the history of our nation, one of the reasons we are here today and enjoying the freedom that we have today is because men through and, and women through time have been willing to say, hey, I'll put my life on the line to protect freedom. We're, we're blessed. I recently uh, had a conversation with a man who is many years my senior. Now, I'm getting to be an old man. I'm not as old as some, but I'm getting to be an older man. And and uh, this man, uh, his name is Dr. Carl Boonstra. Dr. Boonstra is 96 years of age. So, uh, you know, most of the time we think of 96-year-old. We don't think of them being too vibrant. But this man, his mind is sharp, and uh, he's, he's, got, he's got the ability to remember things. And, and so I had a conversation with him about his life, and he shared with me that as, as a young man in, uh, growing up in Colorado, he got enlisted or got drafted into the Second World War. 
And he was drafted into the Medic Corps and found himself in Normandy Beach in France. And the invasion of uh, the Battle of the Bulge in uh, D-Day. And he, as a medic, he, he described, you know, seeing those, those young men storm the beaches and, and the, the difficulty that came as a result of that. Now, many of us in this room, we only read about that in history because uh, that generation is pretty well gone. But here was a man who lived it. And he, he had courage because of, uh, of the fact that there was, a, uh, th there was an enemy. In, in David's mind, it doesn't make sense. Think about it. It doesn't make sense what's going on here. The, this is supposed to be the army of the living God. Uh, they, they're supposed to be God's chosen people. They're supposed to be the ones who are, are marching forward. And here they are in retreat. And so uh, as a result of that, uh, David says, I, I, I'm awakened because I see this apathy. There's a third thing that awakens David in this chapter, which you notice that he's awakened by an award. Notice what it says here. It would seem that David was awakened to the cause by the fact that an award was offered to the one who would defeat the enemy. What, what does it say here? It tells us that, that the, the king would enrich him. He would receive riches from the king's hand. He would become part of the king's family. He could marry into the family and his father's house would be free. They wouldn't have to pay taxes. Wouldn't that be wonderful? be wonderful to be tax-free. We sometimes talk about tax holidays, but this would have been a, a complete tax holiday in the life of David's family. Uh, you would think, as, as you hear some people talk, that, that you would think that God is incapable, so to speak, of making our lives, uh, awarding us for, for living. God's people sometimes have this idea, as, well, you know, if I get too involved in the things of God, if I get too stirred up about this stuff, then, then, you know, my life is not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be fun. It's, I, I'm going to, it, it's going to be all-consuming, and there's not going to be any pleasure in it at all. I can just tell you uh, from my own personal testimony, I was a junior in high school when God rang my bell. In other words, when God gave me a purpose and a calling in my life. I, I pretty much had set my sail. I knew what I wanted to do with my life, and it really wasn't what God wanted to do. But I'm telling you, God changed all of that in a moment in my life when he put his finger on the nerve of my heart and said, this is what I have for you. And I have to tell you that, uh, you know, immediately my life began to change and some of my values began to change. And, and, and I went away to Bible college and met this dear lady who sits up here in the front and God brought our lives together. We got married early. God has given us three children and for 41 years uh, was in ministry at the Cleveland Baptist Church and and now for another two, so 43 years of ministry. And I can just tell you this, that, hey, I'm not a rich man, I'm not a famous man, but I am telling you that I would not trade my life for anything. God is good to his people when we fulfill his calling and his purpose. Now, I want to encourage you today to give consideration. What does God want to do? What's God trying to do in your heart and life? Sometimes we're resistant because we don't think that our life can be blessed if we do what God wants us to do. So would you notice that David is awakened? Notice, secondly, that David not only is awakened, but notice David accepts a call or a challenge. He accepts this cause into his life. So we must understand that getting involved in the cause does have some challenges to it. David faced some challenges as he steps up. Okay, so all of a sudden he hears this bellowing. He says, hey, I'll do something about that. Well, you would think, wouldn't you? You would think that the armies of Israel would applaud him, say, hey, good job. We got a, somebody's going to go out and fight him. No, no, notice, if you would, some, some things that happen. First of all, notice his motives are misjudged. Look at verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the man. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left, uh, hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? 
I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So David's brother Eli thought he was just being cocky, that he's, there's an element of pride and arrogance about him. Think about this. He's not old enough even to serve in the army, and yet he wants to stand, step forward and fight this giant. I, I think to myself that Eli is saying, why is he sticking his nose into something that really doesn't concern him? So there's all these, these issues at play, and, and perhaps he even thinks uh, in his mind, Eli perhaps thinks in his mind, I remember, I was at the house that day that Samuel showed up and took that horn of oil and poured it on David. He thinks he's important just because he's got an anointing on his life. So I understand sometimes the thinking that's here, but I'm telling you that Eliab was wrong. It isn't David's thinking himself important, but it's God moving in his life. So if you accept the cause, and be assured that not many people are going to understand why you do what you do. My family, our family, has been impacted by the church in Cleveland. Five generations of my family actually have been impacted by the Cleveland Baptist Church. My grandfather, my father, myself, my children, now my grandchildren. So five generations of our, our family has been impacted by the ministry of the Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. That all started because I had an uncle, my dad's twin brother, who became an independent Baptist when the rest of the family wasn't. Uh, he got saved uh, at, a, at a young age, served in the military and came out of the military. And through a series of circumstances, his wife and he began to attend this independent Baptist church, not the church uh, Cleveland Baptist Church, but another church in the Cleveland area. And the moment he began to make those changes in his life, the, man, the moment he began to take on this cause, the rest of the family got upset. Uh, the story is, I wasn't old enough to remember these things, but the story is that my uncle and my aunt would start going to church Sunday morning, and then they'd go back on Sunday night, and then they'd go back on Wednesday night. And the rest of the family, they went to church, they went on Sunday morning, and all the family functions were on Sunday afternoon and into Sunday evening, and so my aunt and uncle, they go to church, and sometimes they were a little late getting there because the church maybe service went a little bit longer. And, and then they would say in the middle of the afternoon, well, we've got to go back. We're, we're, we're going to leave because we've got to go back to church. And my grandfather, my dad's dad, would say to him, well, you love those people better than you love us. You love those, that church better than you love your own family. What's, what's wrong with you? Made life very difficult for them. My uncle surrendered to ministry and packed up his wife and kids and went away to Bible college, and he came back to visit the family. When he came back, he was invited to preach, and my, my grandfather gave him down the road. He said, you, you only have a short time here, and you're going to go away for a day and preach to these people. Why on earth are you going to do that? And my, my uncle my, told me that he got in the car and literally shed tears because his father was making his life so difficult for him. He said, I finished that day, and he said, for the very first time in my ministry, I extended the invitation, somebody got saved. He said, I came home that night, and my father met me at the door, and he said, well, how did it go? And he said, Dad, somebody got saved today. And he looked at him and said, son, you did the right thing. I'm here to tell you that, hey, there will be challenges for serving Jesus Christ. Not everybody's going to be happy. And so his motives were, were questioned. His maturity is questioned. Look at verse 33. The Bible says there, and Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. David, what, what makes you think that you can go and fight this, this giant? Well, I want to tell you that sometimes young people are looked down upon in, in some respects, and we don't think too much about them. 
But I want to tell you, if you're a young person here today and you've got a dream and an ambition for serving God, you're not too young to have those dreams and aspirations. Most people who do anything significant for God are saved and called in their youth to serve the Lord. They may not accept, accomplish anything great in, the, in those early years, but it's all part of the, the aspect, and, and, and God burdens their heart in their youth. We have several missionaries that are sent out of our church in Cleveland, Ohio, that are on the mission field today, and um, one of them is named Robert Mickey. And Robert grew up in our church. His dad actually worked on the pastoral staff there for a while as a, as a deaf pastor and, and one of the assistants and taught in our school Robert gives a testimony as just an, a boy, by, by eight or ten years old, and God burdened his heart for, for missions, and he surrendered, and he said, I remember getting for Christmas one year a story, a biography of a missionary, and he said, it changed my life, and now he's been on the mission field for 25 years, and God has used him mightily for the Lord just because he surrendered as a child. Bob Mack and his wife Becky are missionaries out of our church to the Ivory Coast of Africa. Robert Mack, Mickey, is in Kenya. Bob Mack and his family are in the Ivory Coast of Africa, and they've been on the field over 20 years. And I remember as a young man teaching Bob in high school. I was his high school senior Bible teacher many, 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 many years ago. And Bob had a, had a dream that God had called him to be a missionary. And I'm just simply saying, hey, don't despise the youth. The, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and impurity. So if you're a young person sitting here today and God puts something on your heart, don't lose sight of that dream. Hold on to it. Let God do something. Then would you notice also his methods were doubted. Look at verses 37 and 39. David doesn't have the typical battle armament. Verse 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. Verse 38, And Saul armed David with his armor and put on his helmet of brass upon his head, and he also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded the sword upon the, his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not, had not proved it. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them, put them off him. So here's the idea that here's what you need, David, to de defeat this, 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 uh, this giant. But David says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to face him. So Saul doubted David's method. Listen, look, look at verse 43. Notice that the giant belittles David. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. You know, God's methods are, always seem a little bit unconventional, don't they? I mean, as far as the world is concerned, how, if you would ask the average person today outside the walls of this church this morning, how does a person get to heaven? Most of the time they'd say, well, you have to believe in God and you have to be good. You know, you've got to be real good to get to heaven. You've you got you to earn your way. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach people go to heaven because they're good. They go to heaven because they believe, because they trust, because they put their faith in Christ. So the truth of the matter is God's ways are always seeming unconventional to the world. The world always mocks what God is doing until it's done. Churches like the Bailey Road Baptist Church, the Cleveland Baptist Church, and Hundreds and thousands of others across the face of the world. In many respects, they seem antiquated to the world. People think going to church and worshiping is a waste of time for someone on Sunday today. Isn't it amazing how things have changed? Yet we are commanded, according to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, that we are to not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 
The preaching of the Bible seems foolish, yet God commands it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2, where Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Raising a godly family, teaching values to your children seems out of step with the world. But I'm telling you, it's the answer to the decay and rot of our present world. I'm just simply saying, hey, God has a, a plan. We must understand it. So we must accept. Then notice David advances this cause. Notice what happens in verse number 45. David has a performance for God. Notice what he says in verse 45. And then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. What David did here, he did not in his own strength. He didn't do it in his own wisdom. He didn't do it saying, well, this is something I think that I can do. No, no. He said, hey, if this is going to get done, there's a God in heaven that has to do it. David would have been a fool to come out and say, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I have this ability. Now, honestly, when you, if you would look at, at the difference between David and Goliath, no one would have given David a chance. In fact, we still today, in contests where it seems so lopsided, what do we call those? We call those a, a David versus Goliath moment. And whether it's in sports or, or, or in some other situation. So... No one would have thought that David would have a chance here, but David didn't approach this in his own strength. It was a performance for God. Notice he, he believed in power from God. Look at verse 46. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the, 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 the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So again, David's approaching this situation. He's approaching this giant, uh, working with God. He realizes that he can't defeat this giant in his own strength, might, or power. So when we think about what God has done through the years, it's really quite amazing. The first century church looked upon uh, was the, the, as, by the world as being led by unlearned and ignorant men. But the Bible says that those men turned the world upside down for Jesus. God can do things that no one else can do. What happened in that world happened because those men had the power of God upon their lives. And we're going to be effective. This church is going to be effective. You're going to be effective in this world. It's going to be because we're trusting in a power greater than ourselves. They said that uh, the man D.L. Moody, the great evangelist back in the 1800s from Chicago, was somewhat uneducated. His English was not real well or great and and uh, honestly, you know, most people would not have given Moody much of a, a chance of succeeding in ministry. And yet God used him with hundreds and thousands of people coming to know Christ as Savior. And they said that the reason was because Moody gave his life to God. He heard someone say one day, the world is yet to see what God will do through a man who's wholly given over to the things of God. And Moody's response was, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. And I'm here to tell you that we need the power of God upon our life. And then would you notice that when these things are accomplished, it's all to the praise of God. Look at verse 47. And all this assembly, both on your side and our side, all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David's adamant. He's adamant at this moment. This whole assembly is going to know that God doesn't say by spear or sword that God will get the glory through this. You know, one of my favorite verses 
It's in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, chapter 46, and verse number 10, where the Bible states, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, sometimes we, we want to constantly do, 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 but sometimes there's a time for us to be still, to be a, alone and let God do something in our heart, in our life. And I believe that was the case with David. David was prepared for this moment because he had been alone with God and knew of God's power and strength. We're, we're living in what, the world, what, what many would term as the Laodicean church age. If you go through the book of Revelation, you'll know there are seven churches. And those seven churches, of course, were real churches in the day in which John wrote the letter as instructed by the Lord. But most people look at those churches being an age of, of the church. In other words, the timeline of the church through its, 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 what we call the period of the church age. And the last church, of course, is the church at Laodicea. And, uh, Laodicea. and the Laodicean church was a church of indifference. It was a church that was neither hot nor cold. It was a church that didn't, wasn't excited about too much and wasn't, wasn't cold, but it wasn't hot. It was just lukewarm. And Jesus said in Revelation that he was sickened by that church and he wanted to spew it out of his mouth. The truth is that we need people in every church to be stirring a congregation. Not stirring to cause trouble, but stirring to say, hey, we can do something for God. We, we need to step up. We can, we can handle this. I love the fact that you folks had vacation Bible school. I love the fact that there was a, a goal uh, of 50-some uh, young people to attend, to walk through the doors of this church, and that goal was exceeded. I love the fact that God did something here. And this church needs to be excited about things like that. And when your pastor stands up and says, hey, we need to take on this challenge, or we need to do this, there needs to be people in the congregation saying, hey, preacher, we're with you, we're standing with you, and not, not opposing it, but going forward with it. I'm just telling you, hey, God can still do something great in 2021. We went through a tough year. 2020 was a tough year on ministry. And I'm telling you, as we come out of this COVID thing, it's not a time for us to back up. It's not a time for us to retreat. It's not a time for us to sit down and just wait for Jesus to come, although he is coming. It's a time for us to stir up some things. It's a time for us to make a difference in this old world. This world that we're, we're living has plenty of opportunities for us to stand up for God. So I want to ask you some, something this morning as we kind of wrap this up today. Number one, are you arrested by a cause? Are you stirred up? Is God stirring in your heart? about service or doing something or, or, or making a difference in this world? Are you arrested by cause? Honestly assess, are you engaged in living a vibrant Christian life? In other words, if, if, if you were honest about yourself, would you say, hey, my Christianity this morning is vibrant, it's alive, I, I walk with Jesus, the thing that drives me is that I, I want Jesus to be seen in my life. Can, can you honestly say that? My dad who's been in heaven for a number of years, was very instrumental and had a great impact in my life. And he used to say, he used to make the statement, he said, everybody in a church is either an asset to the church or they're a liability. In other words, you're either making a positive difference in the church or you're not. And if you're not, then you're a liability to what God is trying to do in the church. Now, I'm not trying to stir up trouble in this church this morning. I just want you to assess your own life. I just want you to ask yourself this question Am I, is my Christian life, is, is it vibrant? Is, there, is God doing something in my heart and life? I'm telling you, David walked into that, that room that morning or into that place that morning, had no idea what God was going to do. But God began to push some buttons in his heart and his life. And as a result of that, he was arrested by a cause. He, he made a difference. He, he accepted the cause. He, he promoted the cause. And he gave glory to God for the cause. 
and through that cause. God, God has given us all life. We, we all have a purpose. We don't just come on this earth and on this planet for no reason. God has a plan for your life. And whether you're a teenager here today or you're older like myself, God still has a plan for us or we wouldn't be here. And we need to be arrested by whatever that cause is and we need to be living our life to the fullest that we may bring glory to God in this day and age in which we're living. Would you bow your heads together with me in prayer? Thank you so much for being here this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to have a word of prayer and we'll have whatever kind of invitation that the church normally would have.